0: This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by GetGroup North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5 and surpasses ANVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to ANVAcast, bringing news, information and expertise to the ANVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman.
1: Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AnvaCast, everyone. This week, we are taking a look at one of the newest best practices to be published by Anva, and it's an update to an existing best practice. It's the Deterrence and Detection of Fraud Best Practice Edition number two. And to join me this week to talk about it, I have Rebecca Hibbs, a senior manager with the Texas Department of Public Safety, and Paul Steyer from the ANVA team. Paul was the project manager, and Rebecca was a part of the working group. So, welcome. Rebecca, welcome to your first appearance on the AMVAcast.
0: Yes, it is. It's yeah. very exciting.
1: <laughs> and, Paul, welcome yeah. back again. Thank you, Ian. Good, Appreciate good to it. Have Great you. to be here. So, we know that obviously talking about the detection and deterrence of fraud has been a longstanding, ongoing conversation in the community. Um, issue one of this best practice, I want to say it was 2015. Yes, that's correct. 2015. Um, I guess the first question is why did the members, why did the committees and the working group decide we needed to update it? I mean, 2015 to when this working group started, which was, you know, only a couple of years ago, not a huge amount of time. But yet enough had shifted that we said we need to go back and look at look at the update. Um, Paul, you were probably there at those beginning conversations that said why an update was even needed. So maybe maybe paint that picture for sure, us. Sure,
2: absolutely. And I was part of the 2015 team that built the original. So really, it's it's because of how trends have have evolved with the fraud. You know, as motor vehicle agencies adjust their business practices, uh, they they try to make uh, the systems as secure as they can. You got to remember the criminal elements doing the same thing. They're adjusting their techniques uh, because, you know, they have their motivations to uh, to try to defeat some of those systems. So we saw a real need uh, to incorporate some of the new technology. Uh, you know, just when you look at how we're moving things electronically, before it was really all paper based, um, and so we felt, you know, we felt as a uh, it came out of the law enforcement standing committee that it's really time to catch up with what we're seeing from the criminal element on how they're defeating motor vehicle agencies, products, and services. And that's really the, what, what really pushed this forward to make some changes mm-hmm. and updates.
1: And so as the group got together, Rebecca, was that, as you were starting to talk to your colleagues across other jurisdictions, was that playing out? I mean, obviously we're always fighting fraud, but seeing this shift in the past five to seven years that required an, an, an update, you were hearing that?
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, one of the things that in the working group we realized right away is that it really it had started to change where we were seeing more online services Mm -hmm. and more things related to like the need to audit, the need to do cybersecurity changes, things of that nature. But I think we also realized when we started talking that the COVID pandemic Mm -hmm. had made a huge impact on progressing everybody into online services and the cybersecurity attacks and all of the other things that people were trying to do to counterfeit or counteract those activities became I think a central focus when we were looking at this as well Mm
1: -hmm. and so that's a big apple to start taking a bite (laughs) out of it It
0: is so how did
1: the working group how'd you start to categorize it in a way that was manageable pieces that those that are working in this space could start to get their hands around
0: And one of the first things we did when we looked at the document was we looked at not only this document, but also the DMV investigator resource guide. Mm. Paul was great in sending that to us. We realized that there were some um, common information in both of them. And so it was kind of redundant. So Mm -hmm. the first thing we did was looked at where we could really clean up the fraud best practices document and focus it really on the concepts of fraud. Mm. And then once we did that, we really started getting into expanding all of the information because there was a lot of information in there, but a lot of it was pretty high level too, Mm -hmm. and so we started, you know, breaking out the chapters into things like, you know, what really is fraud? What are the types of fraud that people really see? What are really good remediation practices you should do if you aren't already doing them? Mm -hmm. And then really um, beefing up the checklists and, and some of the reference and resource material, because you know, you can talk about fraud, you can read about it, but a lot of times till you actually see the things that are happening, like Mm -hmm. either through other cases, articles, um, some of the trends people see, you don't really always understand Mm -hmm. what that looks like. So we really tried to focus a lot of it and showcase those types of aspects too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. And so what are, let's talk about the updates in, in the document. You mentioned at the outset, kind of redefining fraud. It's about as good a place as any to start. Um, right. You know, we may have some listeners who don't work in this space or didn't read the first edition, so they don't have that reference point. Uh, let's start there. When we're talking about fraud in this space, it's a phrase we throw around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Right? What are we talking about in terms of the motor vehicle community and fraud? What does that mean?
2: You know, I'll share with you, Ian, it, it's really, it's it's people who intentionally, Attempt to try to defeat, uh, mimic, counterfeit some DMV product or service because those products and services are extremely valuable for uh, what we call the criminal element. You know, if they want to continue whatever activities that they're doing, the identity is so critical. A uh, vehicle information is so critical for them, and also the money that they can generate illegally from. Uh, selling DMV products and services or using like vehicles for example to generate a lot of money because of lean washing and title washing right so they're 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 taking parts of what the DMV is responsible for and using it to their advantage and gain and so when you think of fraud we really we really also do a lot of referencing to our FDR program our fraud detection and remediation program mm-hmm. because it's it's more than just reading a best practice it's okay now we need to train your staff um, on, on utilizing this knowledge to stop the fraud.
1: Mm-hmm. So the best practice really lays out what, what's the structure and what are the tools available to fight fraud. But then you have to go and do it. You've got to go and train your staff. You have to have business practices in place. You have to have the discipline day in and day out.
2: That's right. That's right. And so that's why um, Rebecca mentioned the DMV Investigative Unit Resource Guide. Mm-hmm. That's hence the reason why we now have a working group updating that document because Mm -hmm. of what we found from Rebecca's leadership we found from the the deterrence Detection of fraud document was ooh, wow there's a lot of different resources now that there was a few years back Mm -hmm. and so it really sparked that uh, interest to develop and bolster that program and uh, and give our, our our investigators and our just our motor vehicle agencies in general you know more resources and tools to fight fraud right
1: so as we're looking at using the best practice as a tool, you know, Rebecca, if someone is in your position in, a, in another agency, how would you advise them to best leverage the best practice document itself as, as a tool? Someone that maybe hasn't read it yet, knows they have a role to play in fighting fraud and you want to say, hey, take a look at this best practice, it's one thing to read a document. How do you use the document?
0: Um, that's a great question, and I think there's two really good things that this document does. Um, the beginning chapters, particularly when you get into Chapter 3 and Chapter 4, really give you the overview of what fraud is. It also gives you those remediations. So if you really just want to understand the aspects of fraud themselves, mm-hmm. that's a great place to start, particularly if you've never read the first document. Mm-hmm. We give a lot of background information, a lot of trends and things to look at. But let's say you've read the first document mm-hmm. or you're already familiar with fraud because maybe you work in a fraud group or you're a DMV Mm -hmm. investigator. Um, Chapter 6 is also really great because Chapter 6 has a full chart in it that lists all of the types of risks you may see. And one of the things we did in this best practice is we broke them up into the different categories. So like you have driver and identity programs, you have vehicle programs, and then just general information. So you can also just immediately go to that and be able to look at, well, which program do you have risks in that Mm -hmm. you really want to look at? And the great thing about that is um, Paul said, hey, let's also put in some references to the chapters so that if you look at a risk and you say, hey, I really want more information on that, and you haven't read those other chapters, you can go straight to the subsections Mm -hmm. and find out exactly the information you need. Mm -hmm.
1: And so you, you talk about, you know, the, the driver's license identification, vehicle, and the others. Certainly that first one gets a lot of the headlines, right? The, the counterfeit driver's license, the fake yep. driver's license, for all different reasons, gets a lot of the attention. Yep. But really in the scheme of fighting fraud, it's but one, I'm not going to say small, but it is, you know, it's one piece of, of the puzzle. Um, give me some examples of the other types of major fraud that maybe those that don't work in the space— need to know are out there that we're fighting day in and day out. Maybe let's start with the vehicle fraud.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the whole idea of the lean washing has been so common in vehicle cloning Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, uh, criminals will steal vehicles. You know, what do you do with a stolen vehicle? Well, if you can make it look like a legitimate vehicle uh, and be able to sell it at at a very reduced cost, there's a lot of money for them to generate well in order to do that i need to have motor vehicle agency documents to support that because people are going to verify that right so if i can if i can clone a vehicle and make it look like it's legitimate if i can get to the dmv and 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 provide my counterfeit documents and get through to them and have them give me a nice legitimate verifiable document you know this is gold for them Mm -hmm. so you know helping helping our mba administrators frontline title staff understand their role, how important their role is. So that was, you know, that was one vehicle. Motor carrier is an area that we really didn't cover in the first edition, but motor carrier fraud, you know, we talk about chameleon carriers. Mm -hmm. So when, when a carrier, you know, maybe a motor vehicle agency takes action against a carrier because of their fraudulent activities and puts the carrier out of business, all of a sudden, this carrier, their same trucks, their same yep. drivers come back, but under a whole different disguise, they right? They get a so, new USDOT yes, number and they just start over with the same <clears> stuff. stuff. So those are some okay. examples of things that's like that's this is going on today, and we need yeah. to help our folks get onto it. And so
1: the best practices, let's you know, let's close the <clears throat> loop for folks. The the tools that maybe are out there that folks don't know of in those cases would be.
2: Yeah, so, so the, the tools is a lot of it is resources. Who can they turn to? You know, yeah. our federal partners, right? Who can they turn to from their um, uh, state, state other state agencies, who can they turn to? And just using their staff to audit, you know, to, to look for uh, anomalies in transactions, look for odd type of transactions that are occurring within their system. So we encourage, you know, data, data mining resources, mm-hmm. tools where they can look at transactions that just seem a little unusual that that happens so it's you know it's also keeping record of who are these people that maybe you've put out of business so uh, and and having a way to reference that down the road if these vehicles come back again these people come back again um, it should spark something with that motor vehicle agency to say haven't we seen these people before the same activity before yeah
1: and then on the driver licensing side Rebecca which I know is where you spend most of your, your time back home, if you will, in the jurisdiction, yep. you know, certainly there's the, um, the, the general awareness of somebody selling a fake ID for someone to, you know, buy liquor underage, but really the identity and driver license for it is much more sophisticated and intense than someone just getting a fake ID to buy a beer.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly um, and so the great thing about this what we did with the driver stuff is we really went into a lot of the different aspects you're right everybody thinks about identity theft and that's what they really focus on but we wanted to get into things like people doing counterfeit or false identities and trying to come in and, and obtain some type of document from that or even some of the other avenues that we don't commonly think about like the testing
2: both mm. in person
0: and online particularly because online testing mm. is just not really starting to become popular yeah. and so how do you go ahead and prevent people from trying to commit fraud that way and then potentially becoming a public safety hazard in the future. Um, We also looked at things like third-party fraud. Um, We have a lot of third parties or people who um, are vendors that work Mm -hmm. on our behalf. And you know, a lot of times we don't always consider the fact that when we're auditing our own employees, we do that very diligently. Are we also doing that with all of our stakeholders or partners that we're working with to make sure that they are also meeting the same standards that we expect ourselves to meet? Right. So Mm -hmm. this was a really good um, in-depth approach to that as well. And in
1: updating the document and going more in depth, have we updated the, the the tools for the toolbox to be able to fight that type of identity fraud? Getting a, I mean, and it's really getting a legitimate credential under fraudulent disguises, as opposed to just creating a fake driver's license. It's really it's an important distinction that you know folks who don't work in the space may not recognize the difference between getting a legitimate credential, like your example of faking the test or having somebody take an online exam in your place, but then you have a legitimate credential versus those who are out there just counterfeiting the credentials.
0: Yeah. We do talk to, to some level about some of the verification processes, yeah. but those verification verification processes were actually already included in the DMV investigator guide. So we let that one stand and you know we took kind of those tools out and put them in there but we do talk about certain things particularly when you get into that chapter 6 the risks and recommendations about some of the technology or processes that you can Mm -hmm. really put into place to start counteracting that. Um, Some of it's just an expansion of some requirements we already know maybe federally like through the Real ID Act or Mm -hmm. through the Federal Motor Carrier um, requirements but but we do actually start going in and talking about things like, you should be auditing. You, know, you should be looking at you know what you can do to what Paul was saying earlier with data and reports or monitoring software that can help you. Because of course, we recognize that as MBAs, we don't always have the, the financial amount of uh, money that we need in order to be able to purchase those types yeah. of things, the current technology that everybody in the private sector has, and maybe we don't have the resources to be able to put people on it, mm-hmm. but there are still a lot of things that we really try to delve into. Of, There are things that you can do that really aren't going to be overly complex or overly difficult. You just need to figure out what works best for your jurisdiction, and so we really try to outline that for them and let people choose what's going to work for them.
1: Yeah. You mentioned an other category. And so I wasn't sure what that was, because we talked about driver, we talked about vehicle. What's the other category?
0: Um, so that general program one? Yeah. That, that category actually covers anything that would be um, unique, not unique to an MBA. So, like, you might have, like, a financial uh, programs, right? Um, how you handle cash, things of that nature. Um, Operational. Mail. Yes. Okay, yep. So that's really what falls into that general program itself. So it kind of helps to say, it doesn't matter if you're doing driver or vehicle, but here's it's some things you should also look board.
1: at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And has that, you, know, you mentioned early on, Rebecca, that the pan, pandemic shifting things to online nature has changed the nature of some of these. Tell me more about that and how the online nature of transaction has changed either the type of fraud that we're seeing or the types of tools you need to fight that fraud that might be different than the traditional fraud.
0: You know, what I found interesting is that when we went through and looked at a lot of that particular chapter with all of the risks and everything, a lot of the risks are still the same. Whether you're doing it in person or you're doing it online, they really don't change. People are going to try and adapt to whichever process you're using. So what we really tried to focus on is as people get into the online, you now actually have more technology Mm. um, aspects that you can really leverage. And so we tried to talk about that in the risks as well. What are some of the more technology things that you might not have really done before because you were really only doing paper. So you're looking at a Mm -hmm. process change. Mm -hmm. But now that technology solution that we're proposing for that risk becomes more valuable to you.
1: Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is focused on the um, outside infiltrator trying to get Mm -hmm. in. But we know sometimes the risks are from within. Yes. So we do have some elements of fighting or managing and deterring eternal fraud, which is a really unique animal in among itself. Tell me about what what that means. I guess let's first define that for our listeners who may not know what I'm talking about about internal fraud. Paul, do you want to define yeah, that yeah, and absolutely. differentiate that? Absolutely.
2: That's that's our own our own staff. Now, of course it could be third parties uh, as well, but things that are people that are doing our service on the motor vehicle agency's behalf. But it's any any attacks from within which you know, with the Real ID Act and as, as we've really tightened security on our Motor Vehicle Agency products and services, we know that that's probably one of our biggest vulnerabilities because mm-hmm. we know that that from, a, from an external standpoint, a lot of, uh, you know, you're going to fly, right? They're going to ask you for your Motor Vehicle Agency credential, and so they know that that has to be verifiable. The criminal element knows that. So we know that the, the risk of our Motor Vehicle Agency's employees uh, being bribed, Internally, you know, creating records that look legitimate—that threat is so real now. When you think of the counterfeiting that we used to see, we don't see that near as much anymore. Uh, the threat has really turned into internal fraud because it's really uh, the criminals need to have that information verifiable. So other others that they go to, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna need to verify that with the motor vehicle agency. So that the criminals know the value of having that information within the dmv database so that puts a greater threat Mm -hmm. on our own internal processes within our agencies
1: and so what does that look like in in real world terms are we talking someone is bribing a employee of the motor vehicle agency to do stuff when nobody's looking you know what what does it look like in practice
0: Yeah, so one of the things that we did get into, and this wasn't the original document, and I think what we really tried to do was modernize it because Mm -hmm. it's always been an issue, right, Um, is look at what are some of the behavioral or economic factors that might play into Mm. internal fraud, um, as well as really looking at ways that you can take, Um, employees and make them accountable from the beginning. So we talk a lot in this about code of ethics, right? We talk about it in various um, chapters, because really, it's it's a great way to start deterring fraud right up front, Mm -hmm. telling people you're going to be held accountable. But also, here are the consequences that you could suffer if these are the things that you get into. It's a no-win situation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then also helping their management staff be able to start spotting those internal actors Mm -hmm. who might be committing fraud in ways that you might not have always recognized and so that's again where we talk about you know auditing when you talk about trends and fraud One of the things we always think about is those external factors, Mm -hmm. but you can find a lot of trends in fraud internally. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really where we also got into a lot of auditing, right? We go back to this auditing aspect where you really need to start looking at what are some of the things you need to be uh, considering that your employees could be potentially doing that are signs of fraud that you might not immediately recognize.
1: So signs of fraud might be things like an examiner has a higher pass rate than their colleagues or they're doing more transactions in the amount of time than most others are doing in that amount of time. Is those the type of things you're looking for?
0: Yes, and even things that you might not think about, like people conducting transactions after hours, Uh, right? Things that you wouldn't consider, or if you don't work on weekends and all of a sudden you have employees that are conducting transactions on the weekends, and so you want to go in, Mm -hmm. or people accessing the system when they really shouldn't be accessing it. um, Things of that nature, Uh, just some of those aspects that – are probably things we know people shouldn't do but we mm-hmm. don't always go in and look for them yeah. so we really yeah. want people to start spotting those types
2: yeah. of and, things. And, you, and you may have staff in an office where why is one staff person's transaction so so greater uh, so much higher than others yeah so just looking for that you know what's the average and well how come why is this person so much right. You know, higher right so it's those kind of things it's just a little bit unusual and, of course, it doesn't always
1: mean guilt, but That's it means exactly as a manager, right. okay, maybe I need to look at this a little more Absolutely. closely because it might be a red flag that something else is going on. That's right.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So when we talk about the update, what are, are there any other big updates, changes that you guys really wanted to highlight and make sure our, our readers know about?
2: Probably the first time, mm-hmm. Ian, we mentioned the fraud potential with the mobile driver's license and fraud mm-hmm. potential with electronic titling because okay. we really didn't, you know, in 2015 that wasn't anything we talked about, right? So right. Um, not that we have the answers necessarily, but we, we talk about the fact that it's real, that, that, that even though we're going to move a lot of transactions electronically, uh, and it's going to eliminate a lot of fraud from certain aspects of that, of that hard document, we know there's going to be vulnerabilities. And, right. and, and so we're really helping prepare our members to understand that as you move this to an electronic world, be mindful as you build these things that, that there's going to be attacks. People are going to try to find ways to defeat it because the value of those, of those mm-hmm. documents and services haven't changed at all.
1: And while we know those are two great examples in both of those cases – one of the big opportunities is to make those credentials more secure Absolutely. and more resistant to fraud. But we know that the fraudsters are always trying to be another step ahead, and they'll figure out. We don't know yet what those attacks are going to look like. I that's would right. imagine that's a little bit of what the document gets at: is we don't know what this future is going to be, but we know they're going to try to find their way in. <laughs>
2: that's right, and that, that's that's the 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 benefit of having those tools available to watch transactions, watch watch kind of normal. Activity and see if there is unusual activity, uh, and that—that's really how you're going to potentially catch some of these uh, fraud transactions that involve these new types of electronic, uh, you know, transactions. Yeah.
1: Other key updates in the documents, or do you think we have gone through uh, a lot of the themes and and updates?
0: So one of the things I would say is we also updated, we had a new chapter about case studies. So there were a couple of case studies in the original document, but they were just kind of examples. We ended up pulling those out and making them their own chapter. And what's great is we break it up between internal fraud and external fraud. Mm -hmm. And we tried to really showcase some of the unique things that people are doing, like the use of social media to conduct fraud or digital Mm. identity fraud, Mm -hmm. Um, how things can happen either on a local level or national, right, where it's going across jurisdictional bounds. Mm -hmm. So those are some good things where we talked about before. Yeah, you can read about it, but sometimes when you see it being um, in an example like that, you really start to think about what else can we do. Um, in the appendices we added a couple of surveys and one of those surveys is a trend a fraud trend survey and what's great about that is the questions we ask jurisdictions in there is you know what type of increases in fraud have you seen how are people perpetrating it what do you think caused that to be happening so that's also another good resource to kind of expand people's concept of what is fraud based off of not just person's over 21 now and they're trying to or under 21 and they're trying to get their license to really things like people trying to sell things through social media and how do you really want to be able to identify that
1: yeah yeah that's that's a really interesting way to start to summarize this idea that fraud isn't what you thought it used to be it comes in a lot of ways and methods and formations um, and our tools to fight it need to be as diverse. And I think that's the other thing that comes across to me yes. in the best practice. There is, you know, to at risk of overusing the cliche, there is no silver bullet, yep. right? The best practice is all about you need all of these different tools in the toolbox to have a holistic approach.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah, and use those tools, right? If you have a, a systems that, that are stopgates, you know, make sure that your staff is using those stopgates and not just overriding things so they think... The system is wrong, right? We see that happen a lot. So it's utilizing those tools that are there to the fullest of it. Just
1: enough to have the verification services. You also need to have the training. It's not enough just to have training. You have to have auditing. It's not enough just to have auditing. It's it's all of them working Working in conjunction.
0: Absolutely. You you said it perfectly.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad all our listeners yes. heard my compliment. Yes. Yeah, I'll take that in I stride. Well, Paul, Rebecca, thanks for spending some time with me Great. today to talk about the new best Great. practice. It's now up and available on the AMVA website for folks to download at amva.org. Um, and if you have any questions about it as you read it, I know Paul, Rebecca, and any members of the working group would be happy to talk to you further about it. Um, it's, I have a feeling it's also one of those documents, as soon as we've uploaded it, we probably need to start working on the <laughs> edition three. Because, you know, fraud is one of those things that's just evolving so rapidly rapidly. Um, unfortunately, but it certainly gives us a lot of good work to keep working on. Absolutely.
2: Thank you, Ian. Thank
0: you. Yes, thank you.
1: Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everyone, stay well.
0: Thank you for joining us for Amvacast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.